You are listening to The Cactus Project with your host, Mel McDonald. Hi, this is Melanie. Today's interview is a really interesting one. We are talking to Trish Jenkins, who I don't actually want to give away too much because the twist in her story is quite shocking. But if you ever wanted to hear a comeback story, this is it. So I'm not going to tell you too much about Trish. We're just going to go straight into the interview and I will let you find out for yourself. Uh, I hope you find it as astonishing and fascinating as I did. Thank you for joining us for this interview today, Trish. I am very grateful for you making the time to do this. When I heard your story, I thought it was a perfect fit for this Cactus Project sequence. If anyone knows the meaning of things going to cactuses, you sound like you are the person. <laughs> um, and, um, and I really like your line about prison bars. What is it? The prison bars? The strongest your... prison bars are in your head. In your head. And as we talk, people understand why that sentence has a lot more significance for you than it probably does for most people. So before we talk about the extraordinary twist in your story, can we start back a little bit at the beginning? What were you doing for a business before the event? Yes, well, uh, my husband and I had been doing real estate and there wasn't a lot of cash flow in that. We, you know, bought properties, done them up and bought another one. And we looked at doing shares and things and I, you know, wasn't that great at it, but uh, I met a fellow who ran a managed fund and uh, he, uh, I mean, I had the qualification to be an authorised rep from another job that I'd had. And so I invested with him and then he hired me to be his authorised representative for his fund. And uh, So you, that, you guys had been doing, when you say you've been doing real estate investment, you were buying properties like but you weren't working as a real estate agent. No, no, just as investors. Zero investors, okay. And yeah. did you do okay out of that? Were you in a reasonably strong financial position at that point? We were, well, we were asset rich, cash flow poor. Right. So we were looking for cash flow right. and we had some investments that started to work for us like that. And then this one was a reasonably good return. And uh, all the due diligence I knew to do seemed to come up all right. You did your due diligence prior to investing or prior yeah, to taking yeah. a job? Yes, no, I did. We invested a certain amount with him and then he asked me to work for him okay. because he said he he just doesn't have the people skills and he just didn't want to be talking to all these people who wanted to be making money from him and he just wanted to be left alone to trade because he was, it was a boutique uh, managed fund. Right. And uh, during that process, he got licensed. So, yeah, it was very early days. And so we invested with him, people People put money with him, other people put money with him and it went quite well for, he'd been doing it, he told me how long he'd been doing it for, uh, I don't believe that was actually true, but I was working for him for about a year and a half and every month the returns would come in and my job was to make sure everybody got paid so I would pay everyone. And uh, and, so, then, and you were invest, you had invested with him as well, so you were getting paid yes. too or you... Yes, yes. We had $104,000 with him. Right. And in those days, that was a lot of money. That was when houses, I think houses were about that much. Was then. the value of a house? It was 2004. I can't remember what houses were then, but they, they were going up at the time. So maybe that would be a modest house. Okay. Uh, yeah, it would be. It would have been a modest one. But, but you yeah, know, actually, I, think I bought like a today. house in 2000. I bought a house in 2002 for 96,000, I think, or something. So that was yeah. probably not far off. Yeah. But, you know, it was a, it's a significant investment. It's, a it's six figures. <laughs> yep. And uh, we were getting our returns every month. And then we kept getting them until we didn't. And he stopped paying. He 
well, he said to me, oh, this is happening in the market and, and it wasn't guaranteed. You can't expect that to work every month. So my role was to tell everyone, so we're not getting paid this month because the market's done this or this or whatever and whatever he had told me. And so, you know, it was like, well, that was not great, but nothing to really yeah, worry about. And how many investors were you dealing with? What sort of numbers? I probably... How many did I handle? Was it 80? It's quite a lot then. Oh, I don't remember exactly how many. Melanie, it might not have been that many because some of them had multiple parcels from different entities that they had. So it, it, it may not have been that much. Well, it was a total of 16 to 20 million put in through them. So I'm not, not 100% sure. Uh, I mean, we're talking 16, 17 years ago. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so so they were getting monthly payments. Like, what was the return like? It was high. It was a high return. It was one where, see, I had done these um, real estate courses where people were making huge returns. And when you go along to these seminars and people are making that sort of money and they're, you know, they might be making 10% in a month, 20 or or five or four or three, uh, and, you know, and it is up and down. So the the arrangement was that um, it was a loan. You, you were lending the money and getting a fixed return and anything that he made over and above that off your money was his profit. And uh, uh, so, so it wasn't, you didn't own the shares or anything. It was a loan to his company. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a bit messy. I didn't really understand. I, I, looking back, I think that was probably barely compliant mm-hmm. and Who's that then that he, he got a license. So he okay. did get a license, which made everybody feel good. The powers um, that be know. must have thought that, okay, what he was the doing Australian was Australian okay. Securities and Investments Commission gave him a license. So, because he said, you know, cause at first it was just a few people when he started and it was like, he said, no, I've got to do this properly. We've got to get the license. I'm like, oh, that's very good. Yes, good, good, good. So we're all comforted by that. But that and, and he got the license before he stopped paying. Uh, and so when the stoppage happened, you know, I didn't expect it to be more than one month. And uh, when the second month came around, you know, some people asked for their money back and they got it, okay. uh, which was also reassuring. Uh, but then by the third month, other people, you know, people started as it progressed, people became more worried and frightened and he became harder for me to reach. So you weren't working in the same office together? No, no, I was remote. Well, I, I didn't, it wasn't like that sort of a job. It was, right. you know, yeah, I was, you know, on out there sort of on my own and, and it was appointment based. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't see him very much and I didn't have any training in should things go badly, you know, handling, handling custom. I had a customer service background Mm. that was to do with retail. (laughs) Right. So sorry, you can't return this dress. It's a bit different from, sorry, we can't give you back a million dollars or something. (laughs) Correct. You know, and, and, and I'd worked at uh, theme parks where you had to have fantastic customer service and it was whatever you needed to do to please the customer. So it, it suited my nature as a people pleaser to to be in service and and mm-hmm. to have my heart in caring for people that I that are my and and even today you know with with what I do now my heart is in what I deliver because I genuinely care about the results of people I'm much much better at my boundaries now uh, and we're about to find out why but we're about to rushing. find out why <laughs> so people were getting quite distraught and demanding and it turned ugly so people were so what what happened what was ugly they were not getting their money okay. Every month I I had no money to send them, even though it wasn't guaranteed, uh, they had got used to the regularity. And had you brought like family and friends into this and things? Were there people that you knew? Not, I I knew, I I was not allowed to promote. So I couldn't actively promote, but 
when people know you're doing well and making money, they they want to know what you're doing. And you're in mm-hmm. circles where people are going to seminars and motivational things. And and yeah, I did have friends, family. Uh, it was yeah had had money put in, and um, which which carries its own kind of grief. Yeah, uh, as an extra that I, that I had to deal with, uh, and and in myself. So to cut a long story short, um, over a period of months, my personal resilience just got and my mental health eroded and people were phoning, emailing, turning up at my house. Oh boy. Just asking, begging, demanding their money. I had no answers for them. My so were money you actually involved. managing the money or you no. just got access to it when it was time to give people their no, payments? He would, yeah, he would, he would release money that I would um, farm out to everyone. Right. And uh, so. And you didn't have access to the rest of it. You only had access to the payments. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, he he had it in in the, presumably in the market, probably in his swimming pool and his house and his, uh, the driveway that he laid that was very, very long. And and, uh, I did, what he was really doing, Melanie, was what's known as a Ponzi scheme. For the listeners who may not know, Ponzi scheme is where you put money in and the returns you're getting back that you think are profit are actually a little bit of your own money coming back or someone else's. Or the next person who's come in, it's their money that's coming. Correct. And that's what he was doing. Oh, and, and how I did that get uncovered? Well, somebody complained to the authorities about him not making his payments. The stress that I felt, here's the thing, you know, you have to manage your resilience. You have to manage your stress and your self-care and your boundaries and not let yourself get to the point where your stress is so high you cannot think straight. And all you think is fearful and threatened and it, impairs your judgment and so I I lost my perspective and and I I said to him uh, look these people have to be paid you know you've got money over there can I use that to pay them would that be okay and he said all right do that so he gave that to me to pay them and was that your fatal mistake that was my fatal mistake because that money was not for them Mm. it was for something else it it wasn't you you cannot use money for one thing for something else you can't do it and you're um, overwhelmed by stress not making excuses for you but when you're overwhelmed by stress your judgment like you say you end up using terrible judgment and you feel like you have no other option Mm. now you you would have but I remember just feeling like I was drowning and, and, and I carried the burden of the other people. It wasn't just my money because if he had traded badly and legitimately lost our money, uh, we could have worn that. And yeah, that was yeah. part of the risk. That's the yeah. risk you take in any investment. Never invest more than you can afford to lose. But I was taking on the emotions of all these people and having them daily at me and I just couldn't take it anymore and anybody I would have gone to to get advice from such as my accountant had money in it so you felt like you couldn't talk to anybody I did and 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 I thought if my accountant thought it was great and put money in why wouldn't it be a good idea and uh, yeah I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone I didn't want to cause a panic unnecessarily uh and it was just I lost my perspective and I caved under pressure I can't Melanie I cannot dress it up to make it look any better than what it was I caved under pressure and I said can I use this he said yep so I I just did I made the payments to people and uh, I didn't steal it I just made the payments and very quickly after that I thought oh probably shouldn't have done that uh and then when did you find out that you really shouldn't have done that oh not for a long time 
Right. Uh, so people, well, I don't know how long it was. It was probably a few months. It's funny is that when you're under that kind of stress, it's really hard to remember details and time as well. Like things become blurry. Yeah. Is that what you find? Yeah. And, and yes, and you end up getting your facts wrong. And when you're talking yeah. to the authorities, they can easily twist you up in knots because, oh, but you said this. And I went, oh, did, oh no, but I, that was afterwards. Or was it before? Yeah. But um, at some point someone had, uh, someone complained to the authorities who contacted me and said, we need to talk to you about this man and what's going on okay. and uh, you have the right to representation. And I went, oh, okay. So when I went to speak to them, I said to them, look, so, and I still didn't know that he'd stolen money. All I knew was that he'd hit a like he, he'd been trading really well and then it wasn't going well. So, um, so I said to him, you know, can I use this money? So I paid people with this other money. Um, so can you, can you just tell me what to do? Because I can actually replace that money from my mortgage. So I, I'll, I'll just put it, I'll just put that back. I'm happy. Just tell me, what do I so do? you said this to the regulators or you said this to him? I said this to three lawyers from the Australian Securities and Investments Commission as they were grilling me. Did you have a lawyer for yourself there? In this I did. Conference? Yes, I did. Right. I did. And uh, so I said, look, you know, I uh, have... I can put it back. So, you know, just instruct me, tell me what to do and, and I'll just do that. So if that helps, it helps things out. And they just went, um, you did what? Oh, no. And I said, well, you know, it was sort of temporary just to tide him over till the next month. And they. So you still didn't realise at this moment how much trouble you were in? No, I knew I shouldn't have done it that way, but yeah. I thought, well, if I can put it back. Mm, then it's solved. It's put it out of my mortgage, yeah. whack it back, you know, balance it up, it'll be fine. Nah. Nah, what I did was a breach of the Corporations Act and apparently quite serious. And uh, a couple of days later, our assets were all frozen. Our bank accounts were frozen. And uh, I was I was advised to by, uh, I was put into, it was suggested that I go into voluntary liquidation, right. which was sold to me as we'll sort you out, love. No, we, yeah. we know what we're doing. We'll, we'll get your stuff all sorted out and set you on your way. And I went, oh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. So, and when you're that frightened and desperate, you, you look for, you look for a hero. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you look for someone who will come in and sort you out and rescue you. Yeah. I am very familiar with this movie up to this bit, not the next yep. bit. But so, the rest. you know, Cordamentha, the lawyers there, Lachlan McIntosh, nice enough fella. Um, so, you know, he didn't take advantage. Well, you know, they basically. The whole business model is about taking advantage in a way. But, yeah, you know. you know, and I can mention him because, you know, he, he's, a, he's a clever guy. He does this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, he, um, he was actually very, uh, he was actually quite civilised about it all. But, um, yeah, so really what happened was, what, what happens in liquidation is they sell off everything you have and pay themselves their hourly rates, plural, like multiple, because, they, you know, there's them, there's the PA, there's the secretary, there's the photocopying that's, you know, what is it, $12 a sheet or whatever, you know, <laughs> and, and things. And, uh, and they do that uh, pretty much until there's none left and then you're on your own. Uh, but then, then they do, uh, it's very rare that there's money back for investors. It's pretty much yeah, you can yeah. just write it off. Uh, I could be wrong. Hey, I'm not giving financial advice. I could, I'm <laughs> happy to be wrong. If one of your listeners says, no, that's not what happened to me, I'm glad you got I would love to meet that people. person too if there's yeah. someone who hasn't had that result, but yeah. Right, right. And uh, so there was nothing left and that took about two years. And we actually got some bad advice in that where there were a couple of houses we didn't have to sell but were advised to. So we, we could have had something left because Justin, my husband was not in trouble. He didn't do anything wrong. So anything that was in his name, 
was okay. fine. But any, anyway, it gets complicated because they want to claw back any uh You put money into something or whatever. And, yeah. They're trying to get it back. And so that that ended that. Uh, and, and actually, uh, Lachlan was very decent. He, he sat us down and he said, look, I've done it all. I've, I've gone through it all. I've done my report. Uh, and you're not the bad guys. It just got a bit messy at the end and you tried to kind of sort things out um, and you paid money that you shouldn't have. So the, and, the receiver's uh, liquidator's report didn't. Yeah, didn't it was actually it, quite, it, it was, was actually quite favourable okay. as far as they can be, you know, so I, I, I think um, he was, he was fairly decent about it. Uh, what he had to say about the other fellow on the other hand was he, he was just, it was just, you know, he just said you were done over that this guy's a crook. And so uh, the report goes to the Department of, uh, to ASIC, who then refer it to the Department of Public Prosecutions, who then, uh, after this couple of years, I was served with papers charging me with fraud. That's a criminal charges. Criminal charges. And I tell you what, that's an F word I don't like. No. So were you expecting them or were the first that you knew was when you were served? No, no. At first, no. But as time went on, they'd say, well, we don't know. It could it could happen. So my first lot of lawyers, my corporate lawyers, didn't, they, they actually had trouble working out whether I'd in, indeed um, breached the law. Right. And actually since then, I've had someone, uh, a top lawyer, law partner say to me, uh, I think you were actually charged with the wrong crime right. because it was dishonestly gaining an advantage. And he said, you didn't gain an advantage. You didn't personally benefit. So I didn't, mm. I didn't. He's, you know, and I it went, should have been well, dishonest dealing with fans or something. Yeah. Like well, that. he, he mm. said, um, well, I don't know, but he said, oh, you could appeal it. And I went, oh gosh, no, <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to drag it all. And I said, look, I know what I did. I, I know my part and I own that. What I had to do was separate what I didn't need to own. Yeah. Which bits were yours and which bits were <laughs> So they charged you and you got a fine and you went on with your life? That would have been nice. <laughs> but no, no, uh, I was served with papers and uh, and that just meant I had a new set of lawyers toing and froing for another 18 months. And, right. you know, I'd turn up to court for... I don't even know what these things are for a mention and then, then this is a committal and, and so on. And um, then finally, because I, I didn't have a trial because I, already, I knew what I had done. I went, well, yes, this is what I did. And, and I was wait, you know, waiting for a penalty. So you could have been a fine. Right. So you pleaded guilty. If, in terms well, of, I was. Yeah. 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 And, and I could have um, got a fine. I could have got nothing. Uh, but when I finally went along to court, now the offence was 05. Melanie. Right. I turned up to court in January 09. Right. And did you have children at this point? Yes, I did. I do. How, how old were uh, your kids? Our eldest, we have three little girls. Our eldest, Chelsea, was 10. And we have little twin girls, Felicity and Olivia. They were seven in okay. January 2009. So you turned up to court in 2009, three little yep. kids. And if you you might remember 2008 was a magic year for finance. The Big global, global financial, financial crisis, crisis. So right. We were pretty touchy about about uh, financial scams as what it turned out to be mm-hmm. uh, and I went to court. Had anything happened to your boss, business partner, whatever he was at this point? Well, his case was separate to mine. Right. And uh, I was asked by the prosecution if I would cooperate against him and I said, you bet I will. <laughs> Put him away myself if I could. So that was good. 
so that would also had an impact on their recommendation. And the judge decided to uh, ignore the prosecution's recommendation and give me more and actually gave me the maximum that he could, which, which was... was Okay, it's what's called a head sentence of two and a half years that was suspended after eight months because I pled guilty. Wow. This is jail so we're talking about. This is prison. Not so probation or communities no, thing. No, no home detention, no, you know, whatever. It's uh, basically from January to September, uh, I was away from my family and I was incarcerated. Yeah. It's unimaginable. Well, uh, you know, I had a few nightmares imagining it and then it was real. So that they just whooped you off to prison straight away or did you get to go home and pack your uh, pajamas? Well, the, the court appearance went over two days. So I went home in between in the evening and uh, that was really hard. That was really fraught. Mm. Um, and then there was the, the uh, they said, oh, well, if you can put the money back, then that will have an effect, but we can't say how much of an effect. And it was like, well, when I could have paid it back, I would have, but now we were skint because we had spent everything we had on these yeah. expensive lawyers. These were expensive lawyers. And, you know, I think we spent about 160000 in legal fees. I, I think I did a bit of a rough calculation at once, you know, for that, which might be nothing compared to someone else, but for us, it was everything. And, and our parents said, Oh, maybe we can, you know, do. And I went, you know what? No. I said, because we don't know what it's, we don't know what effect it's going to have. It might be nearly nothing. And then, you know, I said, I, I will pay whatever price I get given and then it will be over mm. is what I thought. You know, if, if I do, if, if that happens, it'll be over. And uh, so, yeah, I, I got the eight months, and uh, that was the best part of a year. And that and was so you're, you're actually, I don't know, we could be here for hours if I keep asking you about the details, but I think um, it's, it's, it's not the experience that a lot of people have. So I think your willingness to share it is, is really generous. Thank you. I appreciate you talking about this stuff. Um, what, um, because we are going to talk in a moment about what happened after and what happened during even, what was it like, I guess? Yeah. And, and then and what happened? That's, that's a, that's a fair question. Look, what was it like? Oh my goodness. It was it was like the twilight zone where, you know, there are, if, if, well, probably some people won't know that show, but it's where the premise is they have different fundamental rules that we normally live by that are different, that, that good is bad, bad is good, comforting someone. You're not allowed to do that because you're, um, you're supposed to report them. If you see someone feeling right. down, it was just, everybody's there, Melanie, everybody is there. You think that it's just the roughies, but every strata of society is there. And, but, but most of them, yes, are from disadvantaged, low socioeconomic areas, uh, lifestyles damaged, really, really damaged, uh, particularly, you know, in a women's prison where processed and you, you, you see the doctor or the nurse and, and they, I remember seeing going through and, and seeing the, the nurse, she might've been a doctor, I don't know, but she was asking me all these questions about my health so they can take care of me. And these questions were, uh, have you been raped? Uh, have you been trafficked? Have you been, were you molested? Wow. Uh, do you have a sexually transmitted disease? Uh, and it was all about sex, 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 you know, all this, all this stuff. And I'm like, um, I'm a married middle-class woman. I've been married <laughs> to the same guy since, you know, 92. And, and I said, I said, how many, how many women, have been affected by that sort of thing. And she said, well, give or take about 92% who oh, come yeah. through prison, who come mm -hmm. through. And, you know, th th there, is a, there is a correlation between 
you know, I mean, that's not to say, you know, someone might say, well, I got molested and I never did that. And, and I'm not, I don't want to denigrate that, but it, it's, it's so damaging. You know, the, the, well, if you look at, you were talking about before when you were under massive stress in the business and you made a bad decision. And so if their whole lives are overwhelming stress, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's pretty understandable that people well, make bad choices, isn't it? It, it is. And th- their ability to make good judgments is impaired because if, yeah. they're, if they're in a family where things are dysfunctional and, you know, they're, they're, they're being abused, it affects your psyche and it, it affects, you're not going to be happy and blooming and dancing around the place and academically, you know, brilliant. And, and so, I mean, some people would escape into school, I guess, they, you know, they would do that. But when you're hurt and angry and frightened and you feel no, no safe place, you will be drawn to people who might give you some comfort. You might be drawn to alcohol or drugs because they give you some relief, mm. some escape. And then you end up running with the wrong crowd who well you you become the wrong crowd yeah. and then you're doing crimes to get money for the drugs and you don't have those role models and you you know you you, you don't have the you didn't grow up with the motivational talks you know you can do it you know where everybody mm. gets a ribbon you know all, all this sort of stuff you, you just don't have that so there's so much just it doesn't mean that you can't learn it and recover and grow but what happened Melanie I got there and it was so strange and it was a culture shock for sure because I don't come from disadvantage you know I'm not overly privileged but but certainly a lot more privileged than I thought I was that's for sure you know I I can read and write I've been educated I can you know I get a job I'm, I'm not in danger I have a family that love me you know I didn't realize that that was more than normal yeah that most people don't have that yeah well Well, not most but there are a lot of people that don't it's it's right and so I knew I had a choice I had a choice to make and I am fortunate that I have had a lot of training in people skills and customer service but also in attitude and mindset uh and faith including here yeah how how embarrassing is that pastor's kid yeah (laughs) oh that was just the shame oh my goodness the shame uh but but I knew that I had to be proactive about my response and how I was going to think about these things so I could I was tempted into self-pity. Yeah, that would be pretty understandable if you went there and just spent eight months lying on your bed feeling sorry for yourself well I knew that that would be death like that your biggest enemy is self-pity because you end up justifying yourself and crippling yourself. So I had to choose a different path because I had to come out of that situation. I had a family waiting for me. So this wasn't just about me. You know, I, I had to go through this. So it's, in one a thing way. Saying that you, it's one thing saying that you should do that, but how do you, how do you find the strength to do that? Well, I, I do have to admit that that was faith-based. Like mm, I just, and, and I would say to all of your listeners, and I know this is not a religious show, but if you have got any kind of faith base that you can go back to and look for, there are principles in religion that, that you can find in, in all religions, but mine happen to be pretty, pretty effective where I could find comfort and a bigger picture. And I never felt alone in my cell. I was never alone. I never, felt, never felt alone. Sure, I was alone, but I, but I never did. So um, that was a great comfort. Uh, and, but also to. It would I test would, your faith though, wouldn't it? Did it or not? Oh, I never questioned the existence of God and, and the God, but what it did test and change was some of the assumptions I had previously held around finance 
and what would attract blessing, what I could expect God to do for me, uh, you know, if I gave, if I was good, if I, you know, whatever, that would automatically protect me from disaster. And I think sometimes we forget that, and uh, particularly in in some of the the more new age people who kind of think that the universe is theirs to command, Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not, you know, it's not, but um, I felt like there was a purpose. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm also not one of these people who says, oh, everything happens for a reason. I just want to smash those people in the face. Um, I'll, I'll join you in that. Yep. Well, so, you know, I'm a rough and tough <laughs> crim, aren't I? You know, I, I, I hate that. So these ex-cons, uh, they go around. You know. Like it was meant to happen. And, uh, and it, no. I made a wrong choice and I faced the consequences that was not designed for me. It was, it was on the cards that I'm, that I, that that's potentially what my One of the options. may yeah. given enough pressure. I may do something, you know, maybe something like that, but I'm responsible. However, I also believe that how you see determines how you succeed. Okay. So tell me more about that. I knew that how I chose to see that situation would determine how I went through it and how well I came out the other side. Wow. That's impressive. I knew it at the time. And and so I had to choose how am I going to see this? And I'm going to see this as a trial, a tribulation, an event, a, a journey that I need to look for the lessons, look for the good, find everything I could that was able to give me some joy, even if it was a few blades of grass breaking through a concrete yard. Wow. Uh, I was mindful of looking for those things. And I learned to ask three questions. And today I teach those questions in my shift and lift mindset program. So out of this terrible, terrible experience, it's actually developed, you've actually developed a business out of this, which helps other people. Is that a fair description of it? Look, it absolutely does because the strongest prison bars are in your head. Now I understand why you say that saying. (laughs) It doesn't have to be a real prison. You might feel entrapped in your relationship. You might feel imprisoned in your job. You might feel imprisoned in uh, under depression, uh, anxiety, um, you know, sickness in your body can make you feel trapped and imprisoned and how you view what you're going through will determine the kinds of answers that you come up with for responding. If you choose self-pity, your answers are not going to help you. They're just going to justify your sense of injustice and bitterness and anger, and you're going to be even harder to deal with. And it's going to pay a price when you come out the end of it, it, you're going to pay a price for choosing that path. I consciously said to myself, you're going to tell someone about this experience when you get out the other side. How are you going to be able to talk about yourself so that you're telling the truth? So you thought about that ahead of time of who were you going to become as a result of this and how are you going to be able to present yourself to the world? I did. I didn't know I was going to become a professional speaker, but I knew that I would be telling the girls about it eventually in an age-appropriate way. Coming from a church background, um, I knew there would probably be times when I might be in a in a group, you know, a ladies group or something and maybe share a testimony of my story. You know, some ladies share about their past or their, Mm -hmm. whatever they've gone through. And, uh, 
and I think, well, I need to be the person that I need to model for my children what I would want them to do, how I would want them to respond. It certainly helps to have someone else in your life that you would want, you, you know, this will influence. And when you come out of something, if you're bitter and you're horrible, if I had come home, um, look, I was messed up when I came home. Don't get me wrong. I didn't come home like blooming Pollyanna. Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of, I exhaled and sort of broke in pieces for a while. However, uh, I had three little people that had been without their mummy for nearly a year. So they didn't, you didn't have them visit you in prison or anything? Uh, only when I went to the minimum security, because everybody goes to maximum to start with. Right. Uh, only, the, only at the minimum place. I didn't want them coming to the maximum where there were the, it was just, it was just too scary and horror. I didn't want those pictures yeah. in their head. Yeah, you wouldn't want those, they'd be thinking about that for the next few months. Well, yeah, I, I just didn't want those visuals. Look, other yeah. people made different decisions. You know, if yeah. I'd been there longer, perhaps, but, but um, what other people choose to do with their children is up to them. But for me, I didn't want them having that imprint. So they saw me in the minimum, but coming home, I, if you, if you emerge from your situation, whether it be a bankruptcy, whether it be, you know, whatever, you know, how you're talking about, what's going on at work and in front of your children, be very aware of what you're saying in front of your children and stop it. Mm. You're the grown up. <laughs> you, you are the grown up. If you want to go and have a tanty, get in your car, drive to a drive, drive to a car park somewhere deserted and scream and shout and cry your lungs out. Because So basically you're the grown up and think about the consequences of anything that you do for your kids, really. Be careful what you do in front of them and what you say in front of them and about the people that you're dealing with. Um, they don't deserve that sort of burden and kids take it on as a huge burden, you know, that that sorrow. And uh, you, you know, you will poison the next generation with your bitterness. And that- So what if, what if you are, um, if in the business context, what if you've got a business that is sinking and you're really, really stressed? How do you, because you would have been in that sort of, yeah. how do you deal with that with your kids? How do you have that not affect kids? Because I mean, people listening now have got businesses that are in trouble who and it's overwhelming them how how, have you got any advice for them on that well you you don't your children are not your mentors they're not your best friends they're not your girlfriend you don't unburden yourself to them when you're really and i should put a gentler tone in my voice okay (laughs) i think you're allowed to have an opinion since you've actually had to address this for yourself well firstly we didn't we didn't splash our money around on our kids so that you know they were used to getting a hundred bucks and going go and get lost go to the shops here's a hundred bucks or whatever you want we didn't do that we we were fairly we were fairly um modest in our dealings with them financially as well because we didn't want wealthy brats growing up so there wasn't a huge difference in lifestyle we did move house we had to go and go and rent and so on uh we did put them in a school that but we went to work to pay our lawyers and school fees so that they were in a nice, in, you know, the environment that we wanted and we, we had that support. Um, so that's where it went. When you're in that situation, there's a spectrum, there's, there's like a journey, uh, a, 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 like a graph where it starts out, you know, your stress levels and so on. Early on, early, as early as you can, and it's never too late. Well, well, it was a bit too late for me, but firstly, reassess your boundaries and what you're doing that you don't need to be doing that's adding stress to your life. If you're still making your 15-year-old's lunch, stop it. That's, you, you, you've got weak boundaries. They can do that themselves. So that, those sorts of things add to your pressure. Where with your business, get help. And fellas, the, the fellas don't like to ask for help. Look, then call it consulting. Call it whatever you like <laughs> so your ego can manage it. But seriously, what's more important? 
you know, the, you, you, you've got to have some humility. I'm not saying beat yourself up and say you're terrible, but no, we're all on a journey. We're all learning. Have some humility to think, okay, I need to get some professional advice. So talk to your accountant, talk to, uh, you know, the professionals in in your world. If you belong to a chamber of commerce, chambers of commerce are terrific. You can go and have coffee with someone and and say, look, you know, someone you trust and take a risk and be vulnerable because you don't know what answers are out there that you have not reached for. And then as things do, you know, if, if it does end up that you do end up losing everything, you have still got your skills. Yeah, that's important, and isn't it? You, you don't, you don't, find, you can't lose everything. No, you might find that the people who know about it and who watch you go through it with integrity will be the ones who help you get up again and offer you a job. And you can't be so proud that you think, oh, I couldn't work for someone else. That's just your ego. You know, yeah. if you've got to feed your family, you'll get out there and you will, you will, you'll do whatever it takes. And so there, there are, there are jobs out there. Um, and I know you have your heart in what you've built, you know, if you've got, some, you know, everything's in it, like losing a house. It's like, oh, it's my home, it's my home. <laughs> it's bricks, it's mortar, it's a, it's, a, it's a shell, it's a thing, it's not a person. If you had to choose between a building and your health, you know, you get a choice. You get to lose your money or you get to die of cancer. What would you like? Yeah, there'd, be no, there'd be no question with that. You talk to someone who's terminally ill and say, oh, you know, I'm just sort of thinking, and they'll be like, pull your head in, <laughs> you know, like serious, because what it is, and, and especially for the faith, I'm, I'm a bit tougher on the faith people, Melanie, when I, when I talk to them, because uh, we have a word for it in my culture and it's called um, idolatry. Right. So when you're too attached to your material stuff. It's that sort of worshiping false idols. Yeah. You've got to ask, and, and you know, you don't have to be a faith person to be attached to your stuff. Would you choose, if your child needed a heart transplant and you're in America where you've got, you know, and, and you don't have health insurance, what would you sell? Yeah, everything. What would, you, you? What would you trade? Yeah. Yeah. You would do everything it took. So it's all relative. It's all about perspective. But if you go down and give in to that bitterness and self-pity, and don't get me wrong, if you need, look, go to the doctor and get some little helpers, you know, mm -hmm. some antidepressants, that sort of thing, um, do that and, and um, go for walks. Uh, get out on the grass, take your shoes and socks off and put your bare feet on the grass and take deep breaths. Go to the beach, do these things. Do not turn on your partner, your, your spouse. Do not turn on them because my husband and I made this decision very deliberately and consciously that, I, you know, we said to each other, everything that we have has been taken from us. They're was not he, taking us. Was he, did he, how, I mean, I was curious about that. Like was he didn't blame you? Never, not once. Wow. I did. I did. Yeah. I, I just beat myself up so badly, but no, he didn't. He put the blame squarely on this fellow who had deceived us. Right. He said, awesome. you got, you got sucked in and, and, you know, he, he led you that way. And what I know now about sociopaths and how they, you know, they make you think it's your idea kind of thing, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that, that's what I know now. I didn't know then. Uh, but my husband actually approached my lawyers and he said, look, if it comes to a custodial sentence, uh, can I do it instead of her? Oh, oh, what a beautiful husband. I know. And they said, well, no, you can't. And I just said, look, honey, you are way too pretty for prison. <laughs> So I'll handle it much better than you. And, uh, and I, I do believe that. I do think I, I handled it better than, better than he would have. And I'd rather be dealing with me, the damaged one coming home, than him coming home and me having to handle him. Because yeah, I don't that know makes sense, that actually. Can, 
I, I remember some years ago I had a serious illness and people around me were really distressed and I decided it was much easier to be the person with the serious illness than to be the people worried about the person with the serious illness. Yeah, that's right. Probably the same right. thing. Yeah. yeah, so it was hard. But the, I mentioned three questions and those three questions are about, and this works for business, it works in the workplace, it works for all sorts of relationships. When things are difficult and you're having an issue, I would ask, you know, I've got someone in front of me who's being nasty and horrible and I had plenty of opportunities to, to have to deal with that sort of behaviour because they don't pretend to be nice in prison. Unlike in the business world where they smile at your face and then go and, you know, whatever. It's, although they did do that too, they'd pretend and then stab you in the back as well. Um, that was a lot like, um, if you can remember the girls in the ninth grade. <laughs> Imagine all the mean girls grown up. And all in one place. Grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, that was just hideous. But even then I had to ask myself, how else can I see this person? Now, I wasn't consciously asking that question then. I was like, this person is being horrible. I need to find a way to see them. Diff I know that these, you know, they're damaged, they're, they're hurt. I, I, I didn't justify their actions, but I looked for an explanation in their life because usually they were a drug addict and they'd been dis, you know, dysfunctional and they didn't know any better. But I would ask, how else can I see it? Actually, at the time I was praying, I was like, Lord, how do you see this person? So I was asked, you know, I was looking for a different way to see that person. And today... That what that looks like in the workplace is how else could I see this person who seems to be giving me grief? Okay. And the second one is how else could I see these circumstances? Because you see your circumstances as bad as and and yes, it's bad. Yes, it is. Uh, but you you see it as it can be like suffocating, caving in, where you can you can't breathe and your heart's going. You have these panic attacks and and you can't sleep and then you drink too much to make the you know and you, and you just feel like the walls are caving in and people don't understand and and because you're anxious over here and you and you're highly strung all the time and your cortisol levels are are going through the roof that that you you find it hard to be still and and um go to the school and watch your child get their award you just can't sit it's just everything you feel that overwhelmed. how else can I see this and do it early on early and often how how else can I see this when you ask how else that's it's when actually, you notice things it's yeah. really powerful words isn't it because we tend to go this is my situation yeah we make it out my, we go when we say we, we see it as a fact that this is the circumstances and there is only one way to see them and we but by actually fixed yeah, but by actually challenging yourself to say, how else can I see it? You're basically forcing your brain mm. to look at it from a different perspective. That's exactly right. There's a lot of brain science to this. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yep. And then there's a third one that's a little trickier because we like to be right. Mm -hmm. You know, we? often we would rather be, we'd rather be right than get it right. We'd rather be right than get it right because to get it right might mean that we we're wrong right in the first yeah. place. <laughs> So the first one is how else could I see this person? How else could I see this situation? And the last one is how else could I show up for this? Okay. That's a powerful one. Yeah. Well, you can really, I guess you would ask yourself, how am I showing up for this? How, how, how am I really, how am I presenting for this? Am I being a dragon lady? Am I being a monstrous man? Am I justifying my anxiety, my anger, 
by by with with abusive outbursts at the wrong people? Am I frightening my children to try and make them behave because the little bit that they do that plays up like normal kids do just just sets you off because you're so tense? How else? Well, if you're an employer with staff, same thing. How are Absolutely. You? If you're a staff member, I'll tell you a frightening story. Okay, and the scariest thing in prison was not Big Bertha, and I did share a cell with someone like that, but it wasn't that. It was when I had moved to the minimum security place and uh, I'm sitting in front of the warden who runs it. She's in a very, she's got a very severe short haircut. She's got uh, her, her uniform on, which is navy, and it's like a police kind of a thing, but she's not police. It, it's, it was, she, what, what, she's in her uniform that looks very daunting, very severe, very strict, set up very tall, very, you know, straight. And she, I'm sitting in front of her and I'm thinking my time here depends on how she sees me. Yeah. So I'm doing as much so as she I could can. let you out early. Potentially? No, no, not that. It's more um, her attitude towards me. You know, I could I could have a hard life there or a harder life there. Right, got it. You know? So I wanted to show that I'm not such a bad person, that I wanted to connect. I, and I said, you know, I, look, I trained as a teacher and, and I said, look, I, I could help with the um, literacy. I, I'm, I'm happy, you know. How, what's you want to rehabilitate me I'm on board you know I didn't need rehabilitation I wasn't broken I made a mistake I did the wrong thing but if they've got programs that are going to help me be a better person I'm in yeah. plus it, it helps pass the time it's something to do so so I was trying to connect and I'm pretty good at connecting with people Melanie you know when you and I spoke last night for the first time we connected pretty well we're yeah. warm we're, we're you know but I tell you she was she was looking at me she was ticking her boxes she would question me and she would look at her boxes and make a comment, whatever, like with her pencil. And I'm looking at her as she's looking at me and with horror I realised, I felt the blood drain from my face, that she was not looking at me. So she wasn't seeing you? She was seeing offender D42586. Wow. I was invisible. Wow. And if I'm invisible, I'm a number. And if something were to happen to me in there, Melanie, I would be no more than an incident report. Yeah, wow. That must feel very, very strange. Very strange. Oh, it was it was just like, oh boy, this is this is this woman was so she just she's so hard and so she just there was no cracking there there was just it was just an inst I was looking at an institution with a face seriously and I guess she'd had over the years she probably had lots of people try to connect with her manipulate her of course. you know and so she just had a wall and she wasn't going to see you as a human yeah. she's been doing it for years she's yeah. you know you can't help but be a bit institutionalized when you've been there that long and you're used to seeing all this stuff but that, that's yeah. that's that's what I read into it and that's that's the, and I and I realised I don't think I was far wrong with mm. with what I was in for, and I actually found minimum security much harder to deal with than maximum because yeah because Why is that? well they're classified as uh, non-violent low risk. Uh, they're a different class of people, and those girls, those women, mostly young women, they're not so rough and tough, but they can be every bit as nasty or more so, and right. a bit better at it. And I mean yes, they're just as damaged and, and so on, but it's more 
psychological. Right. So, you know, that was hard. Um, but once again, I still had to try and find another way to see them so that I could forgive and so I could face them the next day and, and not, you know, like I thought, how do you live with yourself when you behave that way and when you're just that mean? And I guess they have their security with their little posse of, of mm. you know, mean friends. And, and, and being mean and so can on. give people significance and all that sort of thing. And, it yeah. can. And I then had to protect my heart from becoming judgmental and hard even against that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the workplace, sometimes it's not different. You you have different cultures where it can be competitive and some bosses pit their staff against one another and have little tattletales running to them and doing those sorts of things. Don't do that. It's like you wonder. Someone who will gossip with you will gossip about you. And you know, it's it's just it's just not if that's the reason your business is falling apart, well, you know, maybe do some reassessments. I don't know. But but uh, and I don't want to blame anyone. You know, look, we we all stuff up and we all we all we're all learning. Yeah, how we see people makes all the difference. But pulling back from you know disaster business, even if, if you're a leader with staff and you've got somebody in front of you that uh, maybe has made a mistake and you've got to bring some correction. Firstly, think about them that they're sitting there and understand that they feel threatened regardless. They've made a mistake. They're going to want to defend themselves. They're fearful. Uh, they might not look fearful. They might be put a bit of bravado on or they will say whatever they need to to get out of that situation and get it over with. Mm-hmm. So I would ask you to ask yourself, do I see, am I looking at the person or the problem? Because if you're focused on the problem, you're going to see that person through that filter and you're going to feel exactly. annoyed. And if you're annoyed at them, it will show, it will slip out. Mm-hmm. And that's an attack that they're going to sense and they're going to go into defense mode. And they're going to react or respond to that, aren't they? Yeah. When what you want is to solve the problem, you, what you want, you've invested in this person, you've hired them. You want to work out how you can help them not to make that mistake again so that they learn and do better. You want to help them with their people skills so that they're not upsetting the other staff and they're going to be touchy. And, you know, there's there's plenty of courses and personality assessments and all sorts of things to help you handle people. But number one is is how you, how you connect with them. Now, you can sack them, but is that going to solve the problem? You get another person coming in, you know, and you're not the parent. You don't run your business. Like a lot of small businesses, the bosses run it like their parents and the staff are children. They're not. And then they yeah. go, oh, they're not loyal. Why, why should they be loyal when you put them on contract and casual and take away, you know, like so many companies have done that. Mm-hmm. It's like loyalty goes both ways, doesn't it? Loyalty goes both ways. So does honour. Mm-hmm. So does honour and so does caring and empathy. Now, you do have to have your boundaries in place. You're not their mum. You're not You're not going to cover up for them. You, you do not compromise on legal things ever. Someone asked me if I would do it all over again, given what I'm like, no. <laughs> do you think I'm silly? No, I broke the law. No, but, you know, the, the good that's come out of it. Mm. So this is what you've got to think of. It, it, and, and these three questions, Melanie, how else can I see this person in front of me, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your child, whether it's your staff, whether it's your customer, you know, whether you're, whether it's your supplier, uh, let's, let's, you know, Always assume stuff up rather than conspiracy, even if it is a conspiracy. Someone said to me once, if the choice is um, sinister versus incompetence, always assume incompetence. Yeah, but don't (laughs) treat them like they're stupid. Just, just, um, you know, just they made a mistake. Yeah, Mm. you know, I I think there might have been, you know, something overlooked here, perhaps that you might have, you know, whatever. But I mean, some people are touchy no matter what. But most people, most of the time, you know, you you can if you see them differently, if you ask 
how you can see them differently, you will start seeing them differently. You yeah. will see different things about That's them. very wise. So, yeah. so let's just recap your three things. The first one is how do I see this person differently? How else, how how else, else could I see this person? How else could I see this person? Then what was the next one? How else could I see these circumstances? Right. And then the third one? The third one is, is really a combination of how am I showing up for this how else could I show up for this? Because you do need great. to be conscious of question. how you are. You know, sometimes we don't realise that we're showing up cranky. Yes, it's not just what are other people in the circumstances doing, but what am I doing as well? Yeah, like mm. a lot of men, their resting face looks angry. That's why women get picked at for having a resting bee face. Yeah, because they're not used men. to seeing it in women. <laughs> no, but men, it's all it's like, stop it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know what? Well, if you are, just be aware and, you know, it's intimidating. And, and that if... And if intimidating people makes gives you a bit of a thrill, sack yourself. I can't, I can't work with you. Sack yourself. So just before we wrap up, tell me what you are doing now. And I know you've got lots of YouTube videos and stuff, and we'll put some links on the episode page so that people can go and find out a lot more of, you know, the good stuff that you've been doing and that yeah. you can share. But tell, just give us a little overview of what you are doing people with the now and, and why you chose to do that. I would love to. So I work with organizations who want to build resilience in their leaders and teams so that they're adaptable in our changing world. Right. They're, they're adaptable to each other. They're adaptable to, they, they can problem solve, that they're empowered so that when COVID runs its course and we face something else, an adaptable company that has invested in its leaders and teams will be like a surfer who negotiates those waves, yeah. that, that they can do that because they're equipped. So I do that through keynotes for conferences and things, but I also do it as workshops for staff, for their leadership, for their sales team, for their customer service, because anywhere that, that deals with people, uh, that's that's how I come in. And the beautiful thing about it is the story that comes with it, because I do have the, the corporate and sales background anyway, but when people hear the story, the lessons stick yeah, it's pretty hard to tell you that you don't know what, you know, to go, oh, you don't know what it's like to have a tough time. It's like, uh, have you seen my story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So the lessons would stick because it's a memorable story. It's a they remarkable do. story. And, and it's yeah. remarkable that you yeah. came through this with, with the grace that you did where it was, you know, how do I how do I learn from this? I don't know how many people go to jail and one of their early thoughts is how am I going to make this a learning experience well you you have to with everything but the self-care is important that that you you know when you're under pressure look at your boundaries what can you delegate what no longer needs to be done what's been superseded and pull that take the time to work on your business so that you're not just in it all the time you know like a duck you know with the feet flailing under the water uh, you are worth taking care of and investing in every bit as much as your staff are you probably spend lots of money on your staff well-being and probably at your own expense that's not okay. You've got to take care of yourself and your family because you know, your, your kids will grow up before you know it and they'll be gone. And how you are with them now will determine how often they want to come home and see you and which old folks home they choose for you. <laughs> yes. What's that line? Be nice to your children because they'll be choosing your old folks home. <laughs> there you go. So people can find me. I, I have uh, two, uh, well, the, the business role that I do, they can find me at speakertrishjenkins.com. 
Speaker Trish Jenkins. Speaker. Yes. Speaker Trish Jenkins.com. Get on and the episode page. Yep, that's great. And I have a, if they want to, there's plenty of videos, testimonials, media appearances there. Plus, I have a YouTube channel, which is just my name. It's, it's youtube.com uh, and, and it's just Trish Jenkins okay. on YouTube. Google me, Google me, you'll find me everywhere. Uh, and then on the other side of things, for those of your listeners who are involved in um, faith, in, in churches, in parachurch groups, uh, women's groups, I do ministry as well. And that is... uh, You've got a separate website for that? Separate website is trishjenkinsministries.com. And they can, I mean, Google me, both of them will come up. I have a separate YouTube channel for that, uh, which they'll they'll find all of that. But mainly um, just Google my name and you'll get, you can choose which direction you want to go to for those. My corporate work is not ministry. Well, I, I call it ministry, but, you know, I keep to the brief with the corporate stuff. The ministry stuff is is more behind the scenes where where the that um, backstory kind of comes into it. And if people do want to read my story, I have got my book, which is called Treasures of Darkness, A Prison Journey. And that was my, I wrote letters and journal entries while I was incarcerated. So they can take the journey with me. In, in real time as you're in going through it. real time. Now, I don't want to spoil the ending, but she gets out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pleased so, that she got, yeah. gets out. <laughs> yeah. And for those, for those who are making business decisions, I have two books, one specifically for women. And then I made it a, made a gender neutral book on um, how to avoid getting ripped off in finance and relationships. And it, it's about how to make better decisions and what questions you need to ask before you go into a relationship or a business deal or a partnership. These are questions that your lawyer and your and your accountant uh, either legally cannot tell you to ask or it's just, it's outside their scope. So it's not your typical due diligence of it's more the... Well, there is that there too. I I have got lists of things that you need to check on licenses, you know, check the license number is valid and and the structures and, and, uh, you know, having an exit strategy and so on. But it's also about what you need to know about that person, what you need to listen for in their languaging. How do they speak about their last partnership? Mm -hmm. How do they speak about their their last partner? Mm -hmm. Who do they blame for their last? How do they talk about a mistake that they made? Who do they blame? Do they take responsibility? Do they make themselves into a hero? And that's true whether it's a business or a personal relationship isn't it those yep. are important questions that's, anyway. and the decisions they make around money uh, are they someone who can who, who has no problem with being dishonest on little things it's are the they change in the shop and doesn't tell them that sort of thing well that's mm. right I mean are they do they have moral integrity you know this might you might not agree with me some people may not think it's relevant but if someone is cheating on their spouse and you know about it and they know you know well that's their primary relationship mm. so if they're going to do that to their spouse what are they going to do to you yeah. When the temptation question. comes. It's just, just a very thought. good question. Very good thought. So um, I'm conscious we've gone way over time, but it's been so interesting. I don't think anyone's going to mind at all. Have you got any sort of parting words that you would like to leave people with? Yes, I do. There is always hope. There is always a way out. There is always another way to see things. You can get help. It's not the end of the world. Please get help. If you're suffering mentally, go to the doctor. Get some professional help. There's no shame in it. It will give you some root, some relief and some room to be able to think because when you're highly stressed, you can't think. So there's no shame in getting some medication to help you with that, getting some counselling. That's that's that. Um, you are worth it. You are worth taking care of and your family are worth it too. Don't take it out on them. People say they have to love me. They don't. A lot of them leave. Don't be that statistic. But it's never too late. 
And even when you have lost it all, there is hope you can come back. I thought I'd messed up my life permanently with you. How do you how do you deal with a criminal record? And your and your profession is is in sales. And you know, no one wanted to give me a job. I don't qualify to stack shelves at Woolies, but I can make a difference in people's lives now. So look at what you do have and think about how you're going to tell your story afterwards what light are you going to paint yourself in do that that is that is wonderful that is i don't think there's anything i can say to to um top that that's just amazing thank you so much trisha for that i think that's going to be a really powerful message for people and i really appreciate you sharing it thank you it's been a pleasure This episode of The Cactus Project is sponsored by Global Training Institute, Australia's leading online training college. It was presented and written by Mel McDonald and produced, edited and visually designed by Maggie Hazaruni. We hope you found this interview interesting. For more inspiring stories from people whose businesses went wrong and how they recovered or went to cactus as we say in Australia, please subscribe to The Cactus Project on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at www.thecactusprojectpodcast.com You can also join our Facebook group, The Cactus Project Discussion, to join in the conversation.